I was in small group in Pastor Joe and Pastor Janice's small group, and Pastor Janice had mentioned that the sound team had to grow because it's during COVID, we need extra people for broadcast sound, things like that. And I told Pastor Janice, I was like, hey, I did sound at my church growing up back home. I am happy to learn how to do it at Vineyard and help. It definitely forces me to have that extra worship music time that I would not always necessarily take before. Listening to the set list that the that MJ sends us prior to my serving Sunday, that's gonna be what's playing in my car, that's gonna be what's playing in my living room a little bit more. Between the June and the August pulse, like there's a stark contrast for me. The June pulse happened the Sunday after I had lost my job and my world was upside down and everything was a mess. Um, fast forward where I had started serving, I was in a place where I was listening to the music more. Like I'd went, literally, I was in a very deep, dark depression and everything in June, not even in person for Pulse. I watched on TV, logged in a few minutes late. And the second, the second summer Pulse, so that August, literally like complete night and day like pastor joe's word about darkness and how all the songs intertwined together about that you know that mj had placed on the set list that evening everything like it just all intertwined perfectly for me and i truly left that pulse truly feeling like i was starting again like hearing that still small voice or having a word from pulse or a word from the message in any given Sunday speak to my heart and hear God tell me he was gonna provide for me and to see him do it, it's just like, this isn't, you know, just some made up fictitious thing. Like I have tangible ways I can tell people, hey, he did this for me. He's given me friends that have said, hey, we were blessed with extra money. We want to bless you with it. Having people do like invite me over for meals when I couldn't afford to feed myself. Those are all things that without him and other people being his hands and feet, I wouldn't have been able, I would not have had. Like I would not have a roof over me right now that's mine without all of, without everyone's help. I still don't have control of my own life. Um, 2020's taught all of us that. My bank account is still not where it needs, like quote unquote should be, but I have watched him time and time again provide for me, meet needs that I just didn't even realize I would have. If, if 2020 has taught me anything, it's God has a plan, has a reason, and there is a purpose, and that he's going to take care of me. Isn't that amazing? Oh my goodness, yeah, you can clap for that. Um, you know, if you thought that COVID was going to kill the church, think again. Right, look at what God is able to do, even in the midst of the limitations that none of us asked for, that we're trying to adhere to, that just navigate this crazy time, God is still at work. What a powerful, powerful testimony. My name is Janice Wood. I'm one of the staff pastors here at the Vineyard, and I'm so pleased to be bringing you a message this morning. Those of you that are in the room, those of you that are joining us online, welcome. We're going to jump right into Scripture today. So if you have a Bible or a device and you like to follow along, head to the book of Exodus, uh, second book in the Bible, so it's pretty close to the front. Uh, if you don't have any of those and prefer to follow along online, I mean, uh, on the screens behind me, you are welcome to do that. Uh, we're going to start in Exodus 
35, let me set it up just a little bit. Moses has led the entire Israelite nation out into the wilderness. They've already gone through the Red Sea. Now they're wandering around in the desert a little bit, and, um, and now there's some things going on. And, um, this is, and this is what Moses says to the people. Moses says to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring an off to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and other, another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for light, spices for the anointing oil, and fragrant incense, the onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod of the breastpiece. If you ever thought churches were supposed to be plain and black and white, you have not read Exodus, right? This is an extravagant situation. Verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything, the Lord commanded. Verse 20, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose hearts moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, for all its service and for the sacred garments. And all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Folks, this is not the message I set out to write um, that I believe God was going to have me share. We had a few things switch around, but this is the message that God gave me. And, uh, and I trust that there's a reason for it, and I'm going to deliver it to you the best that I can. It is the Thanksgiving season. It is the season of giving. And I just think it is so ironic that in this season of giving, what we're really doing is a season of buying so that we can give. We are scrambling and buying like crazy. If yesterday is any proof at all, I was uh, out returning a few things and I was up in the Hamburg area and the traffic was uh, Christmas-like. It was mid-December-ish in terms of how many people were out and about. And I don't know if they're all gearing up for a shutdown or they're all trying to get the Black Friday sales. I don't really know. But isn't it interesting that in a season of giving, we spend so much time grubbing for stuff on Black Friday or Prime Day so that we can give to someone else, right? And, and I'm not, you know, making fun of anybody. I'm looking for good deals too. I'm looking for the, you know, I think Black Friday, honestly, is an Easter egg hunt for adults. That's what I think it is. Only the golden egg is not a golden egg. It is perhaps um, uh, a new TV or some PS5 or PS57. I don't know what number y'all are on. You know what I mean? That's out there right now. That's probably the golden, the golden egg for all of us. But we're out there looking for all these things and, and gathering things into our carts faster than we can gather people into our homes if we're ever allowed to do that again anyway, right? And to be fair, though, this is a season when we think about giving to people, without a doubt. And, um, and certainly it's something that we do out here. I'm not discounting that. We're getting ready to do a big Thanksgiving outreach next week. And so many of you have been generous to bring things in and we're going to take them out and we're gonna give them to people. But I, I'm just interested, why are our hearts so moved toward generosity during the holidays? I mean, think about it. People need food all year round. Children need beds. That's going to be the next outreach we do. Children need beds all year round. Children need school supplies all throughout the year. 
There are all kinds of things that are necessary and needed. People need clothing. People need stuff on, on their back. The salvation buckets could run all year long. Why is it that we have this surge of generosity that somehow uh, corresponds to the holidays in some way? Because it makes me think that generosity is seasonal. It's almost like the sniffles. You know, you get the sniffles and you feel generous or something. I mean, you know what I mean? They almost go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, nobody's feeling especially generous in July. We're spending it on our beach vacations or, or whatever, our backyard pools. But, but there's just generous spirit that happens um, in, in the fall. I think it's a seasonal sort of thing. So I was thinking, what moved the hearts of the Israelites? What made this particular episode a season of generosity for them? And I think it's spurred on by a couple of things. I think the main motivation is that Moses, their leader, shared the vision. He shared a vision with them. Now think about it. He had come down from a long time with God, and this is how it used to be. He's leading all of these people around in the wilderness, and I don't even think he really enjoyed it. If you spend any time in Exodus, he's not the happiest leader on the planet, right? Because these people are cranky, and they complain, and they, he has to stand in line and judge stuff all the time. And, and whenever they drive him crazy enough, he goes up the mountain and spends time with God, right? Note to self if you have parents, right? Go up the mountain, spend time with God. So that's where he was, and the people are down there. Well, this time he comes down from the mountain, and he's saying, guys, listen, uh, we've got a new plan, right? God wants you to have access to. So we're going to build a tent. We're going to build a tent, a tabernacle, and because we move around a lot, it's going to have to be a temporary sort of thing, so it's going to be a very elaborate pup tent, and we're going to need all the stuff because we don't have an 84 lumber nearby. We don't have a Lowe's nearby. We're going to need all the supplies. So you all go home, think about it, talk it over with your spouses, agree together on how much you're going to contribute and what skills you're going to contribute. Bring that all back and, and let's build this thing because here's what we're going to make, right? We're going to make a place where you can come, where you can give your sacrifices, where you can make things right with God, where you can experience His glory, and where you can hear from Him. Now, who wants in on that? Are you kidding me? Who doesn't want in on that? Who does not want in on the opportunity to get close to God and have an opportunity to make things right, to experience His glory, to hear from Him in a powerful way? And they're like, you bet. So they all go home, they talk it out, and they basically take a ticket like we've got out here, and they're going, okay, I'm bringing back this. They go home, they decide, and they bring all of that stuff back. And people brought stuff every morning. Exodus 36. Then Moses, in verse 2, Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought out, had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, they're like, dude, we got to, every time the delivery truck shows up, we have to stop what we're doing. This is a problem, right? And they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to bring, is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do the work. What? When have you ever heard of anybody turning away provisions, 
Can you imagine? You're like texting to give. I'm texting this amount, and you hit a little, you get a little screen that goes, no, thank you. Uh, mailbox full. We don't need any more today. You're all good, right? You're going back by the offering buckets back there, and they're like, no, you know, put the lid on it. We got plenty. Bring stuff next week. We got enough. Are you kidding? When has someone's enthusiasm for the project outmatched the project? Outmatched the project. That's exactly what's going on, right? They, I mean, and there's like no giving campaign. There's no thermometer on the wall. There's no call-a-thon. There's no pledges. Just outright excitement backed up with substance. Their generosity and enthusiasm outmatched the project. And I'm thinking, for what? Well, this is what for. The people were bringing more than enough for doing the work that God commanded to be done. And I thought, what has the Lord commanded us to do? What has the Lord commanded us to do? Now, this is not the beginning of a building campaign. This is not the beginning of a building project that is way above my pay grade. And that's not what this is about, right? This is like, what has God given us to do? What, what tasks do we, need to bring, do we need to accomplish with the skills given us? What is worthy of our excitement, of our enthusiasm, of our generosity? What is that? Well, I'll tell you something that's worthy of my excitement and generosity and enthusiasm, and it's what's going on in our V Kids department. I don't know if, you, if some of you know, some of you have children over there, some of you don't. If you haven't been participating in that, get on board. Go help teach the, these kids. It is great. We are writing our own curriculum. We are doing Bible stories. We are doing activities that go with the Bible stories. We're learning verses. There is good stuff going on. Last week, I saw little children hauling out little cut-out sheep that, that had cotton balls glued all over it with little like popsicle sticks. And it was so fun because they were these weird gluey messes that they were carrying out the door because they weren't dry yet, you know, and they were carrying them out. And, and um, one child in this church gave that sheep to their grandmother. And the grandmother put it on the refrigerator because that's what grandmothers do. Now, the unfortunate part of the story is that before the children cut out the sheep, some of them had colored the sheep. And some of them had used a red crayon. So by the time you have a red sheep and you put little cotton balls over it, it just kind of looks like a bloody mess. You know what I'm saying? It was just kind of, it's a little bit of a creepy sheep. And, and so, and this is on this woman's um, refrigerator when she has a guest over that week. The guest goes, what's that? And she says, well, my, my granddaughter gave me that um, from Sunday school, and I honestly don't know what the story is, but I'm guessing, you know, it could be several things. I'm, I'm guessing that maybe they were learning about Jesus being the sacrificial lamb, you know, blood, I, I don't know, a sacrificial lamb, maybe that's what's going on. She's trying to figure it out. It turned out it was really Abraham and Isaac and the ram in the thicket. The, the blood was accidental. But at any rate, uh, so they went about their business, and then when it was time for this guest to go home, the guest said, um, could I have that? This was someone who has never surrendered their life to Jesus, who has not made that commitment yet. I don't know if they're fully unchurched or not. I don't know if they, you know, have any background at all, but they wanted to take that home. And, I don't, and that's the end of the story. I have no idea where it's going from there, but I'll tell you this. I can get excited about something that happens in kids' church that three degrees later is affecting someone's heart about Jesus 
That spurs my enthusiasm and generosity. I don't know about you. Not to mention people like Amanda that you heard from at the top of the, of the service and what God has done in her life during these weird COVID years. Are you kidding? What is worthy of our excitement, of our enthusiasm and our generosity? What task at church is worthy of your skills and your willingness to do the work? Every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing uh, to to come and do the work. Now, here's my next question. I have to wonder where a nation, a million plus people who were slaves a month ago, comes up with all of this stuff. Gold, silver, bronze, valuable stones, all of these beautiful fabrics. Where in the world are they getting all of this? And in case you don't know where that comes from, let's go back to Exodus 12, 33 through 36. Now, we're back all the way in Egypt. This is before they leave. The 10th plague has just happened, which means that every firstborn male had died in every family. And all of the Egyptians, anybody who did not have blood over the door post, and this is the final and worst uh, plague of all. And this time, Pharaoh's like, get out of here. They want to let the people go. Exodus 12, 33 through 36. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Are you kidding me? They've looted the Egyptian capital of everything they had, and they didn't even steal it. They just went and said, hey, can I have that? And they're like, yes, take it. Go away. If you will go away, you can have it, right? So these Israelites have carried all of this stuff with them out into this land where, you know, what kind of setting do you need for gold goblets in the middle of a desert where there's nothing else going on? Here's the point. God provided for their generosity. God provided for their generosity. God has provided already a way for us to be generous. He has already set that up. See, we don't have to steal to give to God. We don't even have to work overtime to give to God. As a matter of fact, God doesn't ask anything of you that He hasn't already given you. I listened to a, a sermon a week or two ago, and this guy wasn't even preaching on giving, but the, the example he used was so visual that I, I just have to retell it to you, all right? This man uh, called his son, his teenage son up on stage, his preacher calls his teenage son up on stage, and he says, uh, because there was nobody, because COVID, no one's in the audience except his family, and he says, hey, give me $50, and the kid just looks at it, and he goes, give me $50. I know you have $50 because I gave you my wallet before I came up here, and you didn't know why I gave you my wallet, but I gave you my wallet, and they gave me $50. So the kid digs around in the wallet, pulls out a 50, and gives it to him. And he said, God will never ask you for something he hasn't already given you. And I thought, that is so powerful when it comes to giving. He was using it in a different way, but I'm like, that's the bottom line. We think that we're coming up with our generous spirit somewhere, and it's like, no, no, God has already arranged for that. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says it this way, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, 
And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's not whether we can afford to be generous or it's whether or not we are holding on to something that God gave us for the sole purpose of extending the kingdom. That's why you have it to begin with. He gave it to you for that reason. See, the tabernacle was designed to bring God within walking distance to the people and to become the center of their community and the center of their lives, providing them an opportunity to make life right with God. Our mission here on earth since Jesus is very similar. Since he died on the cross, we are to bring people to God who are far from him. We are giving them an opportunity to come in this building to make things right with him and to put him in the center of their lives and their community. That's a cause worthy of generosity because basically we're going to do the same thing. We're going to make a place where anyone can come, anyone can bring their sacrifices, anyone can make things right with God, anyone can experience His glory, and anyone can hear from Him. Who wants in on that? Who doesn't want in on that? Are you kidding? That's exactly what we have to do. And people brought stuff every single morning. And folks, everything you have comes from God, not just the money in your accounts. The money you have, unless you stole it, came from God. Your expertise that you have, your experiences and your, and your smart, your intellectual horsepower, your athletic prowess, your social skills, whatever skill set you manage to market for money that gets put in your account, you got all of that from God to start with. You're giving a portion of that back. You're giving a portion of what that has earned you back to Him. And when we give to God or give to a cause because of God, we're only returning. We're only bringing back something He has already placed in our possession. So when we're aware of the mission and we're aware of the need, I believe people are generous. We're motivated when we hear what the mission is and we get excited about that. Number two, God has also provided a way for us to be faithful. I was teaching uh, my, the small group leaders that we have, um, I am in contact with them on a regular basis, and I had a teaching for them, and I was doing a word study on the word faithful, and I got stuck on this idea that there is a difference between being generous and being faithful. There's a difference between being generous and being faithful. So I, I looked it up. Generous means this, readiness to give more of something as in money or time, more than is strictly necessary or expected, right? Generous is giving extra, extra on top of what is, is there. And you, I mean, I guess that's more like a tip, right? You're giving extra on top, more than is strictly necessary or expected. Faithful is this, firmly adhering to promises or duty. So you made a promise, you're going to be faithful to your spouse, right? You made a promise to someone, you're, you're being faithful in that. Strictly the necessary and the expected. You're not, you're not falling down on the job. You're doing what is supposed to be. So generous is the extra. Faithful is the necessary. That's the stuff that's there. Now, here's the intriguing part. When it comes to giving, it's so much easier to be generous than it is to be faithful. So much easier to be generous than it is to be faithful. 
And, and think about it this way. I could stand up here, and if we do it right, we could pull enough heartstrings. We could tell you enough sad stories about people that need things. We can make enough emotional connections, and people dig deep. They really will. And they will, like, write big checks and, like, yes, I don't want that child to sleep on the floor. And they will do all of those things, right? We can make an emotional motivation for people that will spark your God-given generosity. And God does want us to be generous givers. But faithfulness is a trait that God asks from us many more times than generosity. Many more times. I just did a plain word search. If you tap the word generous into one of my Bible study tools and see how many times it shows up from Genesis to Revelation, it shows up a sum total of 19 times, the word generous. You do the same word search on faithfulness and you will come up with 220 times. Much bigger topic in Scripture. A much bigger topic in Scripture. Because before the Israelites were ever encouraged to meet needs or bring things for a big project, they were instructed to give a specific percentage of their resources to God on a regular basis. They called that a tithe. It was 10%. They were to give 10% of their crops, 10% of their animals, 10% of whatever they sold that gave them some sort of income. That's what they were to bring to God on a regular basis. They didn't do that if they felt like it. They didn't do it because they were emotional. They were supposed to do that on a regular basis, right? So even though the Israelites were quick to bring all of that extra in generosity for the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, the Israelites often fell off the wagon when it came to tithing, right? Because tithing is the regular. Tithing is the necessary. And, uh, and the prophet Malachi was sent to tell the Israelites this, and this is what Malachi says in chapter 3, 8 through 10. And he's talking for God, and this is a quote from God. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, he answers, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Apparently, they were tithing. They just weren't bringing a whole tenth, right? They were, they were bringing something, but not a tenth. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, this verse is often preached by people in prosperity gospel to let you know that if you give to Jesus, he will give you everything back and some, like, check that shows up in the mail. That might happen. I'm telling, I'm telling you it might not, right? And if that's your motivation for it, then we probably need to check that motivation as well, right? God is, does honor us, but nonetheless, right, we were to bring the whole tithe in. Now, some people say, well, that's only Old Testament. That's Jewish law that doesn't apply to us today. But listen to how Jesus confirms the practice in Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to the teachers of the law. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, a tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's saying, listen, you think you've done the tithing bit over here, and as long as you give enough money to the church or the tabernacle or the temple, now you can come over here and you don't have to really live for God anymore. You can do whatever you want because you've given your money. On the other hand, we get to our world and people are like, I, as long as I am living for Jesus and all of that, then I don't have to tithe over here. I can just be generous with my extra every now and then when I feel like it. He's saying, no, you should be doing both. You should not be neglecting one for the others. You should be keeping both of those. Jesus upholds the idea of tithing there. 
And listen, giving to God is a, um, in a tithe is a percentage of our income. And when we do that, it is not generosity. Giving to God a percentage is not generosity. It's presenting back to God a portion of what He has already given us. It's what keeps the lights on. It's what kept the fires burning in the tent of meeting. It's what kept the priests fed. Did you know that the priests of the Old Testament were not permitted to own their own land? They, were, they had to live off of the offerings that were brought in, and sometimes they didn't like that. But they were to live off of that. They were not permitted to go out and make their millions like anybody else in the, in the community. They were supposed to do that. This is what indicates our trust in God to provide. Because here's the deal. Generosity is about giving to God out of our extra. Faithfulness is about giving to God out of our necessary. What feels necessary for us to survive right? And get this, faithfulness involves math. It's easy math, but it's math, right? Honestly calculating what I make and what I receive and giving God the first portion of that, taking a tenth off the top or more if you want. God doesn't mind. Did I tell you I knew a man from my little home church who gave 50% of his income every year to the church? Little, little church of 75 people. The IRS will audit you if you do that, by the way. But at any rate, some people live that faithfully, that they give in that way, right? God doesn't mind math. As a matter of fact, he invented it, and it doesn't deplete the value of the gift to know that it was calculated. That doesn't make it less important, right? It just simply means that you used your brains, and we reasoned our giving rather than simply giving because we felt like it or we had a little extra this week. Giving to God regularly is a routine. It has nothing to do with the church. The, the Israelites were instructed to give a tithe even when the priests were corrupt. Right? It has nothing to do with that because you're not giving to the church. You're giving to God when you tithe. Right? It has nothing to do with how well you like the sermon. It has nothing to do with how well you like the music. It has nothing to do with whether or not you approve of everything. These days, people like to give money, and we like stamp approval on the things that we appreciate, and, and we make it a little voting tool. That's never the way it was intended, right? And get this. The special offering that they gave to build the tent of meeting out in the wilderness did not exempt them from the tithe. They couldn't go, oh, I brought so much gold and silver. I'm, like, caught up till like, you know, 2025. No, they still had to give their tithe. That was a generous giving. That was a free will offering. This was the tithe. This was over here, and it was meant to keep things going. So a few things about tithing. Number one, tithing doesn't earn you anything. Tithing doesn't earn you anything. Faithfulness doesn't earn you anything. It demonstrates your devotion and commitment. Tithing demonstrates your devotion and commitment. Now, some people are like, well, I give 10%, but, you know, I really don't think you guys ought to have it all, so we spread it around. I support this and that and another thing and mission and 15 other people and all of that. And I'm like, you know what? That is a faithfulness of giving um, 10% and trusting God to live on 90. But when we don't give 10% to the body of Christ that God has called us to participate in, that has called us to engage in, where we use our gifts to expand the work in that place, when we do that, that's commitment. When we do that, so it is a devotion and a commitment when we tithe in that way. Number two, tithing is not about getting a blessing or a warm feeling inside. 
you might get a blessing and a warm feeling inside, but it's just like, you know, the cherry on top, right? Because if you're only giving to get that warm feeling, if you're only giving so that God will increase your bank account, this is not an investment. We're not playing Wall Street here where we're putting some money in and hoping it will grow. No. Now, if all those things happen, that's really good. But when when we give for the good feeling or we give so that we will get something back, it's all about us. And it's not about God at all. Thirdly, tithing is about bringing back to God a portion of what he has entrusted to us in honor of who he is and recognition that he gave it to start with. So we have, we have generous giving and we have faithful giving, and I have to wonder, why do we have to give at all? Why in the world would God have set it up this way? God can, if he can make, you know, fishes and loaves turn into enough for a multitude, he certainly doesn't need my hard labor to make this all happen. Am I right? Why in the world would he have allowed the Israelites to take all of that gold and silver from the Egyptians, carry it on their backs, haul it across the desert, get used to to it, get attached to it, and then ask them to give it back to him. Why would God allow us to earn all kinds of money and lovely things that we like and fill our houses and our garages and our bank accounts and whatever it is that you put your funds in and fill that all up, get used to it, get attached to it, and then ask us to give it back? Because I'm thinking if God needed gold in the wilderness and he could make water appear, couldn't he have like shown them a silver mine or something? I mean, couldn't he have led them to some resources they didn't have to carry? No, there's something about that. There's something about them getting attached to the things that they were then going to be asked to give up generously. Christmas is coming, as we were talking about, and it is the season of giving. And I don't know about you, but when our children were small, we had five children. They're all adults now. But when they were little... I really wanted them to learn how to give presents to each other. And, and we didn't have enough money to, like, give them allowances and all of that. Some people do that, and I'm, I'm fine with it. We just didn't have it. And so uh, um, one of the ways that our children gave gifts to each other is there was a reading program at school. And our oldest in particular was an avid reader. And if you read enough books, you got points. And if you got enough points, you took your points down to the little company store at the school, and you could buy stuff. You could buy like a basketball or a movie or a rubber spatula or something. And so that's how our children would get gifts for each other that they would wrap and exchange. And do you know as adults, they still exchange gifts? They, uh, they exchange names. And so every, I, I, I never prompt them. You know, I see them sometimes at a Thanksgiving gathering or in, in October at Joe's birthday. They're like pulling names out of hats. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're, you know, exchanging names for Christmas like we always do. I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, they're, they're kind of doing that thing. But here's the deal. I never received a single gift from my children when they were little that I needed. You know what I mean? I really didn't need another red spatula. I loved it. I love that they gave it to me. I love that they wrapped it up with their, you know, uh, little hands that had tape everywhere and whatever, and they gave me a gift. As a matter of fact, if if you need something, in, in a lot of cases, when we need it, it ruins the gift. In my family at Christmas time, where I came from, my folks were... Um, I don't even know what you call it, but it was a time at Christmas to like restock your underwear drawer and your socks, you know what I'm saying? Toothpaste, the stuff, and I'm like, that was, that was part of Christmas. And then I married into Joe's family. And Joe's family, if you need it, it is not a present, 
right? You don't give people presents they need. You give them presents they don't need, presents that are fun. You know, I mean, that's the way they, and I'm like, oh, okay, so this is it. Here's the deal. God did not need the Israelites to bring gold and silver and bronze. He didn't need it at all. The giving was an opportunity to exercise devotion. Giving was an opportunity to exercise devotion. It was not personal deprivation. It wasn't about how depleted our resources could get and how much we're willing to cough up, right? It was never about that. It was an opportunity to be devoted to God. So why do we teach our children to give? Well, I'll give you a few of my reasons. I didn't want my children to grow up to be sociopaths. You know, and I thought it'd be good if they learned to honor other people. I thought it'd be good if they learned to be compassionate. I thought it would be good if, you know, if they took the opportunity to understand that some other people are more important than them and that the world doesn't revolve around them. So, as a matter of fact, that sets them up to function pretty well as adults. So why would God want us to learn to give? Maybe the same reason. Maybe so that we don't become sociopaths right? Maybe so that we can learn that life isn't just about us. Maybe so that we can exercise our compassion for people. Maybe we can learn to honor the people around us, that we can honor God for who He is. Maybe so we can learn the art of devotion to Him. Here's the thing. This may be the season of giving, but I think giving is like a spiritual muscle. January is going to be the, the season of gyms, right? If they're open. But, but giving, let's just bear with me. Let's pretend they are, right? All right? Giving is a spiritual muscle. You can grab, you can walk into a gym on the first day and grab a barbell and perhaps do some stuff that you've not done before. And, and to put it differently, if you're in a crisis or an accident or there's a fire, you know, you might through adrenaline gain enough strength to move something large that you in a, on a regular day would not be able to do, right? You can perhaps get that kind of muscle on the spur of the moment, but you're going to pay for it tomorrow. But if you go to the gym and you regularly exercise your giving muscle you build it up. You build it up. And this happens when you um, recognize and consciously think about the long-term goals that you're after. Spontaneity is not the point. Whether you feel like going to the gym is not the point. But when you have reasoned through and you have committed to long-term goals, these movements become more natural over time. You begin to build muscle memory. Giving is a spiritual muscle, and some of, us, some of us and sometimes we need to hit the gym. We need to actually reason through the goal of being faithful. We need to reason through the trust that it takes to give regularly. It takes emotion to give generously. It takes devotion to give faithfully. See, this is why someone who has not committed their life to Jesus, has never surrendered, can walk in our doors, sit for a service, and be absolutely moved to go and help with our, uh, our outreaches. And they will generously go and bring stuff back. But if they have not surrendered their life to Jesus, it is rare that they will set up their bank account to do recurring giving to a church because that takes a level of devotion. That takes a level of devotion to Jesus that they are not there regardless of the current need. Now, in most relationships, we want both, don't we? We want devotion and emotion. But given a choice, devotion always wins. Think about this way. I love having a spouse who buys me flowers spontaneously, brings me gifts, takes me out to dinner, 
plans a trip. But if it's one or the other, I really want a guy who's going to come home every night and help pay the mortgage. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather have the devotion than the emotion of a spontaneous gift. Faithful trumps generous. Maybe you have a boss that is known for giving you bonuses in the holidays, and you're kind of thinking about that, and you're hoping you're going to get something this time. And as good as that is, aren't you more interested in the fact that he actually puts a paycheck in your account every week? Right? Devotion trumps generosity every time. Faithfulness trumps generosity every time. So, have we learned to be faithful to God out of our necessary Or are we still just giving to him out of our extra? Where is God inviting you to be faithful with what what he has given you? Where are we invited to be faithful with what he has entrusted to us to manage? Now let me say, I get some of us are new to the faith and this tithing thing is foreign. We have not been raised in church. We don't understand it. The idea of me somehow learning to live on 90% of my paycheck and giving 10% to God feels so far out there. Can I just challenge you to try it? Do a little math. Do some math. Start with giving regularly whatever percentage you can muster and watch what God does. It can be scary business the first time. It really can. But God says very clearly, test me in it and watch and see what he does in your life. God has called us to be generous givers and he calls us to be faithful. Folks, at the end of our service, we like to give an opportunity for um, a prayer and for you to come and get prayer. Those of you online, you can always go to the prayer chat at the bottom of the website, vineyardrichmond.com, and touch the prayer chat button. Somebody's waiting there to talk with you. This message probably isn't stirring a lot of people to want to like uh, maybe go get prayer, but I trust that God is working on our hearts anyway. However, there are a lot of things going on in our lives that do need prayer right now, right? The COVID situation is not getting smaller. Our political situation isn't getting much smoother. And if you have things going on in your life and you would like to have someone pray for you, those of you in the room, you can go out and find a prayer person out in the, uh, in the commons area. Let's come to our feet and you can move anytime during this final song.